We are in a series called uh, Worry Versus Wisdom, and what we've been trying to talk about is have a discussion on the things that we worry about the most, and then what does the Bible have to say about that? Um, and so we've been talking about different things, about what, what we fear. Last week, we talked about um, why we fear and what we fear. And we, I even had a whiteboard on stage, so you can uh, go look at that video. Uh, but we ended that um, sermon with uh, this verse. We memorized a verse together. You guys want to try it? We'll, we'll read it a couple times. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Okay, let's try it again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Good, good. All right, so you can look that up uh, and practice it, put it on your dashboard or whatever. But we, uh, I, I, I like that verse because it talks about who, who is going to frighten me. Have you ever been scared of somebody? Maybe you've been in a tragic relationship or what have you, and you were just scared. Maybe there was a bully on campus or what have you. Maybe you were scared of your parents growing up. I don't know, whatever. But, but what this verse is saying is if God is on our side, who, what can anyone do to us? And we talked about that quite a bit last week. Well, this week I want to drill down a little bit more into this idea and talk about what we might be afraid of as it relates to what people think about us. Everybody in this room has an opinion of me, okay? It could be nice guy, you know, super attractive, um, you know, all, all these different things. It could be, oh, he always tries to be so funny and you're not as attractive as you think or whatever the thing is. You, everybody in here has an opinion about me, Okay. And that's not, that's not the worst part. The worst part is, I have an opinion about you. <laughs> As a matter of fact, we all have opinions of each other. And we all think different things. And we can't get away from that. Our human brain has been created to categorize. It's been created to be able to make quick quick judgmental decisions on, is that person a threat? Is that person nice? Is this, can I trade with this person? Can I do this with this person? All, all those different things. But no matter where you go, what you do, what your job is, who your spouse is, your, who your neighbors are, everybody has an opinion about you and you've got an opinion about everyone else. Now, how exhausting is it to try to manipulate what people think about you. It's exhausting. And you are not designed to do it. And you're destined to fail. Because here's the thing I've understood in life that we're going to look into the Bible. You can in no way at any time, anywhere, know what someone is thinking about you. You may think you know. You might think, oh, yeah, they really like me. And they might think, man, I really do not like that person. I've had to work so hard to make them believe that I like them. You don't even know if they believe that you like them. There's no way to find out. <laughs> it's exhausting. I found this out uh, as, a, as a parent, okay? One of the things, and again, for those of you who are single or you don't have kids or whatever, just humor me with my example because it's the one I prepared for all week. Um, but... 
as a parent, there's always this thing in the back of your mind, and maybe, you're, maybe you didn't feel this, but I always had in the back of my mind, I think I'm doing it wrong. Like, I, I could be doing it better. You meet a, you meet a dad, you know, and, the, uh, you know, I'll meet some dad, and he's like, what did you do this weekend? And, and he'll be like, oh, I, I played, you know, Legos with my kids all weekend long. And I'm just like, failure. And I, I mowed the lawn. I, 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 didn't, I didn't spend, man, their kids are going to turn out great. Let me show you how my kids turned out. Um, this is my son, Jesse. And that, that is cat food. Uh, <laughs> That he's standing in, okay? Uh, he dumped the cat food out, number one, and then, uh, and then he ate it. Um, and I cared so much, I took a picture <laughs> instead of stopping him, right? So there's that. Uh, Lisa was doing the floors um, one fine afternoon. And uh, he dumped it over and then started doing like, uh, you know, going all... Michael Phelps on our floor there, swimming around. This is my daughter Emily drinking from the jug rather than pouring it into a cup. And I don't know what in the world that is. Uh, (laughs) But if you were to just look at those pictures, you uh, might get the idea that I'm not a very good parent. But here's the problem. I have no way of knowing what you think about me and how I parent and how I pastor and what kind of man I am and all this kind of stuff. And we were not designed to be able to manipulate what someone else thinks about us. Because you could be getting it all wrong anyway. You could be working all week long trying to change somebody's opinion, trying to change somebody's opinion, trying to change somebody's opinion, and you don't even have a clue what their opinion actually really is. It's impossible. However, there is somebody in your life. There is somebody in your life where you can absolutely know what their opinion is. And in fact, it's the only opinion that actually matters. So Jesus was jamming around doing Jesus stuff. They teach you that in seminary. Uh, and, and he's going around. And, and where Jesus did a lot of his work was with what the Bible calls tax collectors and sinners. Okay? And so, um, you know, uh, to understand a tax collector, it was basically a Jewish, uh, a Jew who is collecting taxes from their fellow Jews. They were sellouts. And what they would do is, it wasn't taxes just like you and I pay. Uh, it, it, what they would do is, they, would, they had to get a certain amount. So it would be like this. I go out to your house. I knock on the door. Hey, Man, this would actually be a pretty good idea. As, as, as Pastor John, I'm here to pick up your tithe. Okay? And... Uh, and, you know, God, God requires 10%, but I'm, I'm going to take, take 13% because i got to take my 3% off, right? And you'd say, oh, I hate that guy. Or, or th- at least I think you would think that. I have no idea what you would think. Um, and so, so, so these tax collectors would collect taxes. And so their friends would get a discount. The people they didn't like, they could. And they had the whole uh, Roman authority behind them. So those were tax collectors. They were hated, Okay. And then there were sinners, okay? Like, could you imagine that's your category for you? 
sinner, okay? Well, this is the category the Pharisees put on people. Tax collectors and sinners. They were labels, okay? Like Democrats and Republicans. Um, tax collectors and sinners. All right. Now, tax collectors and sinners. Don't read too much into that last statement, by the way. Okay? I don't want to get an email from somebody, all right? Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So these, these Pharisees had an opinion about Jesus. And they're sharing their opinion. We don't like this guy. He hangs around with tax collectors and sinners. And so they had a negative view of him. Here's kind of my first point I want to make. Everybody has an opinion about you. Okay? We established that. Everyone has an opinion about you. But it's only God's opinion that matters. That's it. It's only God's opinion that matters. If you are staying in the will of your heavenly father, if you are staying connected with your heavenly father, if you are learning what your heavenly father has to say through the word and you're applying it, that's the only thing you've got to worry about. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that refreshing? Now, depending on how you view God, if you think that he's a judge and he's ready to just smack you, and then you're like, oh boy, I, I got to do every little thing right. If I don't do it right, oh no, he's going to come after me. I know that, that, it's a flawed thing, how you view God. But he's, his opinion is the only one that matters. And further, you can know his opinion of you. It's that he loves you. It's that he's proud of you. He created you. You know what his opinion is of you? He thinks you are valuable. He thinks that you are valuable. So valuable that he wants to enter into a relationship with you. God. Now I know that's hard to understand. And I know if you don't even believe in God, we, we have to start a little farther back. That's fair, okay? But for those of you who are trying to understand who this God is and what does he think of me, you have to go no farther than this Jesus who hangs around with tax collectors and sinners because he thinks they're valuable. He thinks they're worth his time. So what happens is uh, um, Jesus decides to address this issue of why he hangs around with tax collectors and sinners. He decides to tell a story. Now, what I love about the parables is that Jesus makes them up. Okay? So, the reason I like that is that he's responsible for all the elements in the story. Each element is important to Jesus. And so, Jesus has, knows these Pharisees, because he actually can know people's thoughts and hearts, he knows that they have something against him. And so he's going to address it right there. And so he begins this story. Now, um, 
This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and I preach on it about once a year, sometimes a year and a half. But there are, there are different stories and different topics that I want to keep addressing over and over and over again. We had a teaching team meeting last week, and Jonathan brought up this um, great point about how, you know, oftentimes when you preach or you teach, you want it to be new all the time and fresh and all that kind of stuff, and that's important. But often, as humans, we need to keep hearing the same thing over and over again, right? Well, this is what I love about this parable. I, 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 I could listen to this parable every week because it gives the heart of God. We won't do that, by the way, so that's okay. So Jesus continues with them. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, if you were sitting with Jesus when he told this story, your jaw would drop. Okay, because this is incredibly disrespectful in this culture. Incredibly. Basically what he's saying is, hey dad, you're not dying fast enough. <laughs> okay. How many people have, no, I'm just kidding. Right. So you're not, you're not dying fast enough. You're in the way of where I want to be as a human being. So I, I, I want to get that part of the estate now. V- incredibly disrespectful. The Pharisees, uh, and basically what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to get you to hate this son. He's trying to get you to go, oh my goodness, I would, I would pull that boy over my knee. He's just trying, to, you know, just trying to get you upset. But here's what the father does. He, defines, he divides his estate up between the two sons. He had no reason to do that. He had no, no obligation to do that. He could have right then said, oh, that's really great, son. Guess who's out of the will now? You. Okay, and he could have given it to the, the older son, but he divides, he divides it up. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Again, the people listening to this would be like, serves him right. I never would have done that to my dad. I never would have squandered anything away. I would have been respectful And I would not have been a tax collector or a sinner. Bad son. Bad. Okay? After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. He began to be in need. Again, if you're a Pharisee, If you're one of those listening to it, you would believe, and they believed this at that time, that God was punishing him because things weren't going out, going very well. They believed that when God blesses you, your life goes great. And when your life goes bad, it's probably something you did. It's probably your fault. It's what what they call an honor-shame society. Okay, and they saw their heavenly father as an honor and shaming God. But he began to be in need. I want to give you one of the hints to not having to worry about what anybody thinks about you. When you get to a point where your need for God, your need for health, the way God would have you to live, your need to get rid of maybe some things that are holding you back, when that outweighs your need to be liked, you're in a really, really good position. When your need to be healthy, your need to be rescued, 
outweighs your need to be liked, that's when God does his best work. You ever known anyone in recovery? Anyone in 12-step program? Uh, my family has uh, a history of that, right? Maybe if you've ever been to an Alcoholics Anonymous class, I mean, uh, meeting, we start off, my name's John, I'm an alcoholic. You know what that basically is saying? My name's John, I don't really care what you think about me, <laughs> right? Because I had, to, I had to get to a place where I, my need to be healthy, uh, my, my need to be uh, reconnected with my Heavenly Father outweighs my need to be liked. And so if you meet someone in recovery, oftentimes they're the healthiest people you'll ever know. Because they're so comfortable knowing I am broken. But my need to be healthy, my need to be connected with my Heavenly Father, my need to be in a secure relationship with Him, my need to be, and here's really the, 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 the crux of it, my need to be restored to the place God would have me be in the first place has to be greater than my need to be liked. And then I become truly who I am. So he began to be in need. Now, he goes and he hires himself again. That, that, that Jesus is painting a picture of this young man that the Pharisees would just find disgusting. He went out and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. Okay, so first of all, now he's serving a Gentile was what they called him back then at this other country, uh, and sent him to his fields to feed pigs, an unclean animal in that tradition. Can you imagine Jesus? I, I, don't, I, can't, I don't know what Jesus was thinking, but, but I can just picture him going, oh man, they're going to love this kid. You know, just going, oh, you know, see, what, should, what should I have him feed? Oh, pigs. So glad I'm the son of God. This is great. So he goes out, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, which would have been even, even more of a um, travesty of eating the same food as the pigs are eating. But no one gave him anything. And if you were a Pharisee listening to the story, you're like, of course nobody gave him anything. And I'll bet God didn't give him anything either. He is reaping what he sowed. And Jesus is just bringing the Pharisees down along this path. I love this. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. You know what's really cool about this little verse? Is it, it gives you uh, a little bit of insight into how great this father was. He took care of his servants with food to spare. He took care of people. If he were an employer, he'd have health insurance. Okay? If he, he'd, he'd make sure the wage was fair. This, this is a just man. Okay? So he gets this idea. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Check this out. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I want to stop right there. For a lot of us, it's not everybody else's opinion that we're so worried about. It's not everybody else's opinion of us 
that is so damaging. It's not everyone else's opinion of us that, that brings us to a dark place. For a lot of us, it's our opinion of us. It's what I think about me. It's how I see myself. Because see, I know all my stuff. You know all your stuff. You know your past. You might think back to your 20s and go, there's no way. If you knew about me what I know about me, I know exactly what you'd think. Because that's what I think. And this is where he got to. He's like, I'm just going to go. I'm just, I'm not, I've blown it. You can't recover from this. I took half of the inheritance. I wasted it all. I've been hanging out with Gentiles. I've been feeding pigs. I'm not worthy enough to be a son. This is the conclusion he got to. This is the conclusion some of you have gotten to. When you think about your life, when you think about maybe last week, I don't know. You think you've gotten to a place where you're not worthy enough to be called what we sang about earlier, son and a daughter of God. So here's what he does. He realizes he's not worthy. He has a horrible self-image. But he gets up and he goes to his father. He realizes that this relationship with his father is his only chance he knew when he was going to get up and go back to the house. He, knew, he knows his brother. We'll see. Well, his brother will be introduced in a little bit. He knows his brother's going to be upset with him. He, know, he knows the whole community there. The, the, in, in, in the Jewish culture at this time, everything was about community. And everybody in that community would have known that younger brother took half the inheritance and was gone. Now, they wouldn't have known what had happened to it yet. So he's going to have to come home and begin to explain to everybody, I wasted it. But his need to be restored outweighed his need to be liked. His need to get back to his, heavenly, uh, to, to his father, okay, even just as a servant, outweighed his need to be liked by everybody in the community. And so he humbles himself. And I, I, every time I get to this verse, and I was practicing it this week, and I started getting weepy, and I'm like, okay, good, get it all out of your system. <clears throat> but while he was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. threw his arms around him and kissed him. Let me ask you a question. With a father like that, with a heavenly father, because you can draw the analogy, it's called a parable, okay? With a heavenly father like that, that's his opinion of you. That is his opinion of you. You say, but John, I am like a long way off. That's interesting. But while he was still a long way off. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Well, I tell this story all the time uh, when I preach on this section of scripture. 
for the, anybody who's had kids, and again, I didn't mean to make this a kid-dominated thing, um, you can spot your kid in a crowd. I don't know what it is. I don't know, I don't know how it works. But as a parent, there could be like a thousand kids. Like I'd go to on a high school campus and there'd be some like, you know, auditorium meeting or whatever. I can, I can spot my girls in a, a second. This is how I picture this encounter. I picture this father loves his son so much and knows his son so well. It was just a silhouette on the distance. And his heart just like, oh, I got to get to him. This is your heavenly father's opinion of you. Now, do we say, well, in that case, I can do whatever I want. Of course not. No, he wants you to be, he doesn't want you to be far off. He doesn't want you squandering your life away. He doesn't want you wasting your life or worried about this or worried about that. He doesn't want you doing that. But until your need for restoration outweighs your need to be liked, there's going to be this separation. And so he sees him while he was a long way off. The father at this point didn't even know the story. He just knew his son was home. The son said to him exactly what he had, he had uh, planned on saying. It's word for word. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, what was supposed to come after that was make me one of your hired hands. He had it all figured out. He understood something about himself. The only way he could possibly make it right was to become a servant because he was not worthy enough to be called a son. And here's what the father does. But, why, but the father said to his servants, in other words, he doesn't even let his son finish asking for forgiveness. He doesn't even let him finish the sentence. It's kind of like, oh, dad, let me just tell you. Oh, yeah, 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 whatever. We'll get to that later. We got to have a party. He said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine, daughter of mine, was dead and is alive again. She was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Well, what, 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 I, I would have been like, hey, Jesus, uh, just quick question. What about the inheritance? Wasn't the father upset about the inheritance? Jesus leaves that part out. Jesus, I got a, I got a question. I got a question. Uh, the father, is, isn't the father going to ask him what he was doing, where he was? What, what? Father doesn't, he just has a, he just celebrates him coming back. You don't know anything. Because that's what the father does. That's how the father, that's, that's the father's opinion of the son or daughter who returns. And that is, is his opinion of you. He just wants you back. Meanwhile, the older brother, older son, and you can imagine this is Jesus, if he had glasses, would put him down like this and look right at the Pharisees. Hmm? Okay? Everybody listening to this part? Okay. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? 
says, your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf. I don't know why that's so special, but I guess it is. Uh, because uh, he was back, uh, he is back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Because the brother had a different opinion of the son. The brother had a different opinion of his brother. Now, let me ask you a question. The brother and the father. Whose opinion, if you're the son or the daughter, do you care more about? <laughs> right? Your brother, who probably stole all your clothes when you were a kid or like messed you up, or your, or your father, the one who's now said, you ba- you're back in restoration. Why would he care what his brother thinks when he's in good relationship with his father? So his father, this, this dad, he, he does get dad of the year. He goes out and he pleads with the older son. He, he, says, he says, come on, look, just put that aside. Do we have any older brother people in here? You have, a, you have an opinion about somebody and you think you are dead on right. How dare they insert whatever here? They have no business. You are right about them. You know you're right about them. Your heavenly father pleads with you. Stop. Stop. You don't want to be viewed the same way as you're viewing the younger brother right now. And some of us need to hear this. We have opinions about people. Strong opinions. Because you know, you've been around, you've seen it before, and you have no idea what you're talking about. Because your heavenly father sees them in a distance, and he runs to them. He runs to them. Your heavenly father loves them. So he answers his father. (laughs) This is like such a typical sibling. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. <laughs> okay, wrong. <clears throat> and you n- and never disobeyed your orders. Wrong. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he goes on. But when this son of yours, who squandered away property with prostitutes, comes home, Or something like that. <laughs> you know what's fascinating to me in this story? Who, who said anything about prostitutes? It's never in the story. How, how, how does the brother even know this? But isn't he dead certain that's what happened? Isn't he? Doesn't he tell his father this is exactly what dad... Was he in the country with the younger brother? No. The story actually doesn't even mention that. The older brother does, because the older brother knows. He says, my son, the father says, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to go and celebrate and be glad. Because this, brothers of you, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This heavenly father 
that we have loves the older son, the younger son, any daughters that are in the house, all, all, all these different things. He sees us all the same and says, listen, just come home. Just, just if you just would, if your need, if we could just have your need for me outweigh your need to be liked or your need to prove this or your need to do that, it would be back the way it was. I want to I end with this, this verse from Paul because Paul was dealing with this same type of thing. He was going around and he was planting churches. And Paul was, a, uh, he was one of the apostles. He planted a lot of churches and he wrote a lot of letters. And most of them are in our Bible now. And so uh, Paul, Paul will reference in his letters a lot about what, he, what people are thinking about him. And about how he does stuff and about his appearance and about how he talks and all these different things. What kind of leader he is and, and who's going to follow who and all that. He, know, he knows all that stuff is going on. And this is why I love this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3. Listen to what Paul says. If I could get to this, I would be so happy in my life. I care very little if I'm judged by you. Or by any human court. Tomorrow at work, I want you to walk into your office and quote this. <laughs> I want you to walk in and just go, hey, listen up, everybody. I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. It's in the Bible, you know. Okay. But watch this. Watch what he goes. He goes on farther. He goes on farther. Because this is one of the keys of getting closer to our Heavenly Father. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear. Now, do you think Paul's saying he can do whatever he wants, God's going to love him no matter what? You think Paul's saying, oh yeah, I, you know, I, I, I sinned all week long and I, I can kind of make any decision I want. My Heavenly Father loves me. Of course he's not saying that. There's so much scripture that he wrote saying the exact opposite. One time he says, I beat up my body and make it my slave. Lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself would become disqualified. He, he's, he's into being holy. There, it really is. But he, what he's saying is, I'm going to get even my own opinion of me wrong. Let alone you get your opinion of me wrong. I'm going to get my opinion of me wrong. He goes on, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. I'm not, I'm not free from my sin. I, I still have to make, make it right with God. He goes on and he says this, it is the Lord who judges me. It is that father of the prodigal son that sees you far off and is filled with compassion and runs to you, puts his arms around you and says, come on, let's go home. As the worship band comes back up, um, one of the reasons I know that God feels that way about you, that God feels that you're valuable, that God uh, loves you, that as you're far off, he wants to bring you close. The reason I know that is for what we're going to do this morning, take communion. And what we're going to be celebrating is the fact that 
Jesus, the same Jesus that told this story to try to get across the love of the Father, actually displayed this love by sacrificing his own life for our sin. That's why we have the cross here. That he paid that penalty. He bought out the inheritance that you owed. He, he paid the price. He, he, he made it right. And so what we do during this time is uh, we have these elements that represent Christ's body and blood. And the ushers will take them to either side. And basically, uh, everybody is invited, if they want to, to partake of communion. See, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. He was having the Passover supper with his disciples. He took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he essentially said, this is my body Whenever you eat of it, remember me. And what he is saying is, remember the sacrifice that I'm going to be taking for you. Remember that. Remember how much God loves you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he blessed that. He gave thanks. And he said, this is my blood, which has been poured out for the remission of sins. Whenever you take and drink this, remember me. And so when we take communion, what we're doing is we're remembering how much God loves us. We remember that we were once in a far off country. We were unworthy. We were a tax collector or a sinner or whatever label you want to put on. We remember that we were separated from our Heavenly Father. But we also remember that Christ's death, burial, resurrection provides us a way to come home. And even when we're very far off, our Heavenly Father, through this sacrifice, comes and gets us.